Well, good morning, everyone. Come on. Well, this weekend is a pretty packed weekend, right? We got Valentine's Day tomorrow. We got Super Bowl today. But, man, regardless, we're going to have fun this morning, all right? Come on, amen. So this morning, as you see, as you can see, we're kicking off a new series in the book of the Song of Solomon. Woo, we got a couple, woo. You know, uh, I've, I've heard some, some grumbling in the last week or so as we found out that we're going to do this. Some of the, our people were like, man, why are we doing that book? That's kind of awkward. Uh, I Trust me, that, that was me as well. I am guilty of that. I was like, man, why are we doing this? I think I read this book maybe once and I sped read through it. Not only that, I was like, man, PB, why am I the one kicking off the series? Like, if all of it, I'm the one. You know, I've only been married almost five years, you know, not that long. But what I do love is this, is that as we surrender, submit to God, it's not about how much we've been married. It's not about how much we've been following Christ. It's how much we've been submitted to him. Amen. And so I love that. And this is why we're here today. We're here because I'm trying to be obedient to God in the process, okay? After much deliberation, he said, all right, I'm doing, I want you to do this because I told you so. I said, yes, sir. That's right. But before we go and dive straight into our text this morning, I think we need to lay some ground rules, okay? We need to lay some ground rules because the reality is that we have a tendency to really look for things or look at things in, in the text or in scripture for someone else besides ourselves. Right, we can see someone else's business and see someone else's flaws. Like, man, this person right here, man, they gotta get their act together. Man, they look, they need to look in the mirror. They need some help. But today, the first rule is I'm going to listen for myself. Okay, I'm gonna listen for myself. I'm gonna listen for me. How can this message help me, not someone else? All right, that's number one. Number two, I'm not gonna look back. I'm not going to look back. The thing is that God makes everything new, and I know all of us have a past. All of us have a past that we don't want to talk about. We don't want no one to know. Some people are deleting their own Facebook pictures and everything else. But the thing is that we can't look into, into the filter of yesterday. We have to look forward to what God has today. He says he makes all things new. Amen. And lastly, I'm not going to throw any punches. All right, I'm not gonna throw. In other words, like, hey, if you have a spouse or a boyfriend or a girlfriend, this is ain't, I mean, you're not gonna nudge them. You're not gonna snicker and say things underneath your breath. You ain't gonna say hallelujah, amen, and look at them as you say it, right? All right, see, all right, see, see, this is what I'm talking about. You hear that, babe? You can't, you can't use this against me. All right, you can't use this against me. These are the ground rules for this morning. Can y'all, can y'all play fair? All right. If not, the Lord's going to convict you. You know, you just remember that. See, this message is not just on romantic relationships, because the reality is, is that there's so many relationships in general, right, that we are relational beings. We were created for relationship, and we actually thrive in relationship. Now, this is the problem, okay? This is the problem. The problem is this, is that we don't know how to have or maintain relationships that well. We, do, we just don't. We have relationship goals, things that we're trying to achieve, but we have little awareness of how to get there. 
So my goal this morning is this. Is that, yes, we're going to examine romantic relationships through our text, and it's going to be great. It's going to be amazing. But also that we will learn the art of relationships or the art of loving well in every relationship. Whether you're single, whether you have a good friend, whether you want to be a good parent or spouse or son or daughter, that you will learn the art of loving well in every relationship. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, we thank you that it's you that does the work in us, not us. It started with you. It was your love. It was your grace. It was your mercy. God, we pray that as you reveal your truth to us through your word, that we will obey. That we will obey and let your spirit do the work. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So before we, we get started and dive straight in, we, I, just, I have to kind of just let you know what's going on in this book. You know, who wrote it? What are the key things that are happening here? And so the thing is, is that there are many approaches to the Song of Solomon. There are many interpretive approaches as people are trying to figure out and understand this great song. Some people's way of approaching the Song of Songs is just to ignore it. Like, man, I'm not even, I'm going to rip it out my Bible. I'm going to skip over it, right? Like some of y'all this morning, let me skip into the book of Isaiah. I'm not going to cover this. But the thing is, is that it's in the word. It's in the Bible. So that means it's important. That it's important. And there's a Bible scholar by the name of Origen. This is what he would say about the Song of Solomon. His approach was to ignore it. He says this, he says, I advise and counsel everyone who is not yet rid of vexations, or in other words, it would be annoyance or frustrations of the flesh and, and blood, and has not ceased to feel the passions of this bodily nature. To refrain, everyone say refrain, refrain from reading the book and the things that will be said about it. So that is one approach, is just completely ignore it. Another one, it's, some people say it's, it's an allegory. It's describing the love of God's relationship with his people, not between a man and a woman, but just God and his people. And lastly, the way that we're going to look at it this morning, which I think is the best way, is literally how it describes this a powerful, romantic, uh, intimate relationship between a man and a woman, observing both their courtship and their marriage. See, the Song of Solomon is not written in chronological order as this, you know, like from A to B to C to, three to E, but it's a snapshot. It's a snapshot of this couple's relationship and how it's being developed. This just wasn't just a song, but a collection of songs. And it's documented that, that Solomon wrote over a thousand songs. That's crazy, a thousand songs. But this one, this one was said to be the song of songs. The greatest of all songs. Not the greatest hits, but the greatest song of all songs. And this is the only song included in the canon of Scripture. 
And what that shows us is this. It shows us that God has a high regard for marriage and romantic love. He has a high regard for these things. And despite the the romantic images and fantasies that this book does have, there's also aspects of realism. Right? Solomon knew about erotic desire, one. Two, he knew about meddling friends and relatives trying to get in his business. Then he also knew the struggles to establish a relationship in the face of separation and hostility. He understood that we no longer live in the perfection that existed in the Garden of Eden, but that we live in a fallen world where relationships and love have evolved into different ideologies and even different definitions. That's the world that Solomon lived in. And that is the world that we live in currently. So we've heard different ideas of what love is and what relationships should look like. And there's some truth to that. But there's a truth that's founded on God's way that works. Not only does it work, but it's better. It's better in every way. It's way better than the world's way. And you can try to have it your way like Burger King, right? It might get messy. It might get burned. You might be burned out. It may get stale. But I promise you, you'll end up back at Chick-fil-A. You will. I'm not promising perfection at all, by any means, no. But what I am saying is that there is quality and longevity when you steward a relationship the way God has intended it. Psalms 34, 8 will say this, taste and see that the Lord is good. Because it's better, I'm telling you, it's better. And lastly, before we dive in to our scripture this morning, as we begin in the Song of Solomon, chapter 1, all right, chapter 1, everyone, that's your cue to get there, open your Bible, open the app. There are three characters mentioned that keep showing up. The first is the, the lover, which is Solomon. Second is the beloved, the Shulamite maiden. And thirdly, it's the friends, the daughters of Jerusalem, the, the Shulamite's entourage. So keep in mind that this is a song. And when I was reading this, to me, like, I just saw it as a musical. You know, my daughter right now loves Encanto, so everything is kind of filtering through that lens right now. And this is how the, the book begins. It begins with a dialogue, a passionate outburst from the maiden with her friends. Verse 2 says, let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. Wow. Like, what, what a way to start a book. Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. Some of y'all are blushing. I didn't even know y'all were going to hear this this morning in church. Second part of that verse says, for your love is more delightful than wine. Your love and the way you love is more delightful than anyone else. You have figured out how to love and love well more than anyone else. And the thing is that the way you love, not only in marriage relationship, but the way you walk into a room, you change the atmosphere, the way you treat the people around you, the way that you treat the kids, our kids, other people's kids, the way you treat your boss or your professor, it's more delightful than anybody else. 
Verse 3, pleasing is the fragrance of your perfumes. Your name, everyone say your name, is like perfume poured out. See, that is our goal, I'm, and I'm asking God to continue to do this in me, that as we walk into a room, into our homes, into our church, into our class or our job, that whatever we have relationships, that we are practicing the art of loving well. That when people, when, when, when people know that you are coming to a place, they're excited to hear that you're coming. Like, oh, man, I can't wait for Javon to get here. I can't wait for Ross to get here. I can't wait for Christian Adams to get here. I can't believe they're here. It's just so much better when they're around. Man, I love the way they encourage me. I, I love the way that they love me. See, this man's name, the way it would be interpreted is that his name was a reputation or representation of his character and reputation. See, obviously, like, he had some good looks, you know. He wasn't, he wasn't an ugly fellow. See, the, the maiden did, was attracted to him physically, but even more so she loved his character. Verse 3 says, no wonder the young women love you. See, she chose a man who others sees that has amazing character. And what is always so interesting to me is when I see someone fall for someone else whose character doesn't really line up with good character, and in some way they're able to see something, something super deep in them. They're like, man, see something that no one else sees. You're like, oh, man, he's a great guy. He's a great girl. You just don't, you haven't met him yet. Oh, you just don't know him the way I know him, or you don't know her the way I know her. If his name or her name isn't pleasing like this, a fragrance in a room, then that's a red flag. Man, they got to go. You got to find someone new. See, verse 4, it says, take me away with you. Let us hurry. Let the king bring me into his chambers. And then you got the friends coming in, the chorus right here. We rejoice and delight in you. We praise your love more than wine. For girls, I'm just saying this, like, hey, we think you have a great relationship. We can't wait to have one just like yours. And they're not envious at all, but they're praising her to say, man, I, this is amazing. This is beautiful. And this is her response. She says, how right they are to adore you. And she speaks out right here in verse 5. Dark am I, yet lovely. In other words, I'm not too much to look at, but I'm still lovely. I still have something to offer. She starts right here with the topic of attraction, right? She's talking about her physical attributes. And I just want to remind you this, is that there are so many of us at times, and I was guilty of this initially before I became a believer and started pursuing God, that we are attracted to the wrong things. But not, she's saying, not my man. Not my man because I'm not much to look at, but yet he still loves me. He still adores me. He still encourages me. He still continues to pursue me. The verse continues. It says, the daughters of Jerusalem, dark like the tents of Kadar, which were completely black. Like the tent curtains of Solomon were also completely black. Verse 6 says, do not stare at me because I'm dark because I'm darkened by the sun. 
And in those times, you know, it's not like today where, like, man, you just get a tan. I mean, I got to get a spray tan. But in those times, being dark was bad. It wasn't a good thing. It meant that you worked outside, that you were a day laborer. Your skin might have been cracked and dry. And she's saying, hey, I, I'm dark, but don't look at the things that, that God is not looking at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. He looks at the inside. So you got to make sure that you're focusing on the right thing. Because I'm darkened by the sun, she explains why in the next verse. She says, my mother's sons were angry with me and made me take care of, of the vineyards, my own vineyards, talking about her body, I had to neglect. In other words, she's saying, hey, I can't help how I look on the outside. I can't help that, but I made some decisions beyond my body that makes me attractive. Some things of substance. And if you're going to have a godly relationship founded on him, you're going to have to get way past the physical. And there's a place for that, definitely. She goes on in verse 7. She says, tell, tell me, you who, are, who I love, where you graze your flock. I mean, it sounds like a pickup line, right? Where you graze your flock at? And where you rest your sheep at midday? Man, when's your lunch break? I want to come see you. No, but and then she goes on and says, why should I be like a veiled woman beside the flocks of your friends? She's speaking about prostitutes. She said, why should I be a veiled woman who, who goes to where the workers are and wait for them to get off to seduce them? She goes on and said, hey, I'm not like that. That is not me. And this was attractive to Solomon. Solomon's like, man, man, she is something. Man, I got to have her. I'm going to pursue her. And that's the things that I'm looking for something different. That's what he's saying. And this leads us to our first point this morning. The first attraction, write this down, is spiritual attraction. Spiritual attraction. See, one of the most important things that you can offer any relationship, whether romantic, whether a friendship, is this, is that how much you love God. How much are you going to love God? Because if you love God with all your heart, then you're going to love this person in this relationship, in this friendship. See, she's saying, I'm looking for someone who has some standards that is in love with God, not just on Instagram, on social media, not just on Sunday, but it's evident in their life. That it's evident in their life. And here are three things that we can do according to this text that will make us become more spiritually attractive. Y'all ready? All right. Love and worship God. It's number one. Worship, love and worship God. I know this much. You know, I, I'm still learning and growing myself. But I know this much. If you ain't praising God in, the house, in his house, you ain't praising him out there. So... For you, for some of y'all, that means, man, it's, it's, it's maybe just you need to get your hands out your pocket, you know, like just, just put them right here by your pocket, you know. Maybe you just have to start cultivating a heart to really lift your hands, sing, worship God, and that's okay. 
You know, I, I was reading this morning briefly, and it says this in Luke. It says, like, pretty much, it says, if you won't praise me, the, the rocks will. The stones will. And I don't know about you, but God has done some amazing things in my life that when I get here on Sunday, when I leave this place throughout the week, man, I got to lift his name up high. I got to praise him. I got to worship him. Number two is pursue my God-given purpose. Meaning this, I'm not just going to be here, just be a butt in the seat and take it all in and just consume everything Sunday to Sunday. But I want to be a contributor. Put me on the Ignite team. Put me to work. Let me hold a baby. You know, let me go to nursery. Let me hold a baby. Let me pray over this baby. Let me go speak life into the youth. Let me go do something so I can give value to other people. And this is why we have Growth Track. We had a Growth Track this morning. We had five people go to Growth Track. Can we celebrate that this morning? And Growth Track is not just for us, but it's actually for you all. It's for you. We do it for you because there's something in us that we need to be involved in that makes a difference. And this is an opportunity. Lastly, having godly standards. So, yes, we're, we're dating, but, like, hey, I'm going to let you know right now, this is how far we're going. You ain't going past this. This is it. Women, you better tell them. Fellas, you better tell her that I'm not going to be some veiled woman waiting for you. I'm not going to flaunt myself. I'm not going to slide in your DMs. I'm not going to do any of those things. You're not going to have this until you put a ring on it. And we're not going to step out of the rule of God. We're not going to do that here. See, that's what attracted me to my wife. Man, she worshiped God. Man, she loved God. I was like, man, she was, it looked like she loved God more than me. Man, and she served with this so much compassion and love, whether it was, you know, singing and worship or wherever there was an opportunity she wanted to serve. And she had standards. She had standards, which was so great. It was even more attractive. That's why I was so persistent even after she told me no three times. This is not a joke. This is serious. Y'all know the story, some of y'all. But it was more than just physical attraction. It was spiritual. She was unlike any other woman I knew. And I was like, man, I have to have her. She has to be my wife. See, spiritual attractive is first because it's most important. Because yes, yes, we are a spiritual being first. Not just natural beings. We are a spiritual being that are temporarily here having a natural experience. The second area of attraction picks up in verse 9. And this is from Solomon. It says, I liken you, my darling. I liken you, man, I liken you, my darling, Tori. Nine times he uses the word darling. Then he goes on and he, he says this. He says, to a mare among Pharaoh's chariot horses. He's comparing her to Pharaoh's horses. That might not seem pretty great today. Babe, your hair is so great. Your face looks like a mare. I don't think Tori would take that too well. But what he's saying is this. Because the thing is that Ferris horses were like any other horse. They were thoroughbred. They were beautiful. They were priceless commodity. No one had these horses but Pharaoh. 
And when he was saying, he said, babe, you're priceless. You're, you're the best thing a man can ever want and ever desire. That's what you are to me. Verse 10, he says, your cheeks are beautiful with earrings, your neck with strings of jewels. He continues to compliment and encourage her. You're beautiful. Verse 11, we will make your earrings of gold studied, studded with silver. And this is when she comes in. She says, while the king was at his table, my perfume spread its fragrance. Meaning this, even in public, you talk about me. You spread my name like perfume. You've honored me in public. And then we transition here, and they're separated, and she's back home. And she says this in 13, my beloved is to me a sachet of myrrh resting between my breasts. Don't know what a sachet is, but I know this much is that, man, even when they were apart from one another, she was still thinking about him. She's saying, man, this is way more than physical. We have an emotional attraction. That's our second attraction this morning is emotional attraction. She's saying that this needs to be developed as well. And I, and I tell you this is that if you would just spend a little more time feeding the emotional needs of your spouse, spouse what a huge difference that would make. Fellas, I get it. Women are a little bit more emotional than we are. I know that. And women, yes, you know, guys are emotional too. We just receive it just a little differently. We, we need it differently. And these are three ways that we can actually grow our emotional attraction. The first is that you give them emotional support by valuing them. Value them. And this is what Solomon is saying, like, like a mare, like Pharaoh's horses, you are the best thing that's ever happened to me. You're priceless. You're amazing. And some of you are thinking right now, ah, but she ain't. He ain't. Ooh, that's rough. No, I'm just playing. Um, but the thing is, is this, is that if you don't, if you don't like what you're seeing, maybe, maybe just change what you're saying. I was listening to a message a couple years back in uh, Miles Monroe. He uh, was a pastor who ended up passing away, unfortunately. But he says, men, he says, it's our job to cultivate our spouse. If we don't like what we see, that means it's our fault. I was like, dang, that was convicting. You know, and he, and he goes and he starts saying that how we should bring our bride, right? And they use this in Ephesians, you know, uh, without spot, without blemish. So if we don't like what we're seeing, then maybe change what we're saying. And if you say it, then we'll become it. So when we start honoring people, we raise the value of them. That's why we honor people, whether they deserve it or not. They speak life into them. Watch your words, men. What ladies like to hear is who they are. Celebrate who they are. And the thing is, I'm growing in this personally. I am not the best at this. And the Lord was convicting me as I was preparing for this that I tend sometimes to focus on the things that, I, that my wife may be doing wrong 
and not really focusing on her and, and reminding her of who she is, that she's beautiful, that she's amazing, that she is great. And when you start doing that, you start to begin to start filling the tanks. And I know for some of us, this is not natural. It is not natural for me at all. But I promise the more you do it, the more it will become natural. Fellas, can I put you on some game this morning? Come on, one person here. There you go. Uh, I have an app on my phone that my wife downloaded for me. And it's called the Love Nudge that sends me reminders that tell me to tell my wife that she's beautiful every day. See, I'm growing it. I'm growing in it, too. See, some of y'all think it's like, man, this is not intentional. But the thing is, it is. It's intentional because it's starting to, I'm taking a step forward in it. That this is an area of my life that I'm cultivating and giving my wife time and value in my schedule to make sure that she's a priority. And if you would value or add value to her or your friends and everything else, fellas, these are for married fellas, you're going to return on your investment. I'm telling you. If you know what I mean, you will get a return on your investment. All the men in the house said, amen, come on. Hey, love, you're beautiful. I see you. Ladies, and this is your tip this morning, you don't need to focus on who he is, but what he does. Men like to be admired by their accomplishments. When I cut the grass, I'm like, baby, you see me cut the grass? You see how the angles look? I, I weeded this time. You know, when I wash the dishes and put the, uh, the dishes in the right spot, baby, I did that. That was me. That was me. It was no one else. It wasn't Sailor. When I bathe the kids and cook dinner, I need Tori to notice. Babe, that was me again. That's right. I did that. The thing is, you got to start somewhere. And if he plays call of duty, you know, every other day, and you start there, hey, baby, I see how you sniped that guy. Man, you did amazing at sniping him. Man, you start somewhere. All the gamers are like, yeah, keep going. And this is, a, this is a warning, is that if you don't, someone else will. If you won't, someone else will. The thing is, adultery doesn't happen because of desire of sexual, uh, pursuing that. It's not because of lust. It ends up there, but it doesn't start there. The cause of adultery happens because sometimes there's a vacuum in the home of an admiration, affection, or emotional connection. Everyone needs it. The enemy will make sure to bring someone else along to say, wow, you're incredible. You're amazing. How do you do the things that you do? And all of a sudden, it leads to more, but it didn't start with more. Lastly, we're going to think good thoughts about this person, about them. Looking back in the text, she says, it says this, that she was at home thinking about him. She took every thought captive. She wasn't thinking like, oh, my gosh, where is Solomon? He's late. Man, he's around, sleeping around, over there with a veiled woman somewhere. No, she goes, no, like, he's amazing. He's a man of God. He's great. And if you will control your thoughts and keep them captive, man, that's how fruitful, how amazing that can be. But if you don't, the enemy will create a false narrative about your spouse that's not even true. We have to make sure that we decide to control our thoughts. And here's the last one. As we look at verse 15, 
He says this, how beautiful you are, my darling. Oh, how beautiful. Your eyes are doves. Man, here's another animal reference right here. Eyes are doves. It's starting to, to move into to get physical. He's starting to admire her body, but he doesn't start with all the other places that some of us do or the world shows. He starts with her eyes. Rabbis taught that the eyes reveal the soul of a person, the true heart of a person. And this leads us to our last one, physical attraction. And we won't go too much into depth in that this morning, but we'll just highlight it as Pastor Ben will touch on this later in the series. And he starts the next chapter saying this, I am a rose of Sharon, a lily of the val- uh, valleys. This is her speaking. If you remember, she started in verse in chapter 1 saying, hey, that man, I, I'm dark. I don't look great. But because of the way he loved her, I'm a rose. Man, I am a rose of the valley. Things are beginning to escalate from verses 3 and 6, but here's where it lands in verse 7. Daughters of Jerusalem, I charge you by the gazelles and by the does of the field, do not arouse or awaken love until it so desires. Until the desired time, in other words, is saying this is that, hey, there's a, a time and place for that, but not right now. Not right now. We know that God created sex, and sex is an amazing thing, but the devil has perverted it. Perverted it. He's created the beauty and the passion of it. God has done an amazing thing in that. But I want to warn you, if you, but if you get it out of the place, get it out of place, it will be the, one of the worst things and destructive things in your life. And this morning, as, as we begin to close, I just want to encourage you in this. I, I know there's maybe some thoughts circulating in your mind, thinking like, man, but you don't know my spouse. You don't know my situation. You don't know my past. And I want to challenge you with this, is that if you remove you and the person or whoever is in that gap, and if you were to look at it just between you and God, you will notice that it was also there too. It was there, too. See, when I came to God, I was unfaithful. I was immoral. I was just a mess. There was nothing that was attractive in me. But he, but God, knew if he loved this imperfect person, that I would change. That I would change. And here I am. I got saved at 21 I'm 35. It's been almost 15 years that I've known Jesus. And there's a lot, uh, a lot I still need to grow in and develop, and it's still a long way to go. But he has changed me. And he has changed me for the better. And I'm so blessed that there's a God who sits on a throne who has capacity and ability to change every circumstance. There is nothing too big for him. And because he's changed me, he's given me the the capacity to love those who I may consider unlovable. Not because I'm a good or great person, because he did a work in me. And he wants to do a work in you this morning. And if you allow God to work in your life, you'll come to love not by finding the perfect person, but by seeing the imperfect person perfectly. And that's the miracle that God can do. 
It's the miracle that he did in me. It's the miracle that he did in my family. It's the miracle that he did in my wife. He found an imperfect person, decided to see me in a way that not just, you know, where I'm at now, but what I was going to be. And the imperfect man became the perfect man in Jesus. Can we stand as we pray this morning? Father God, we just thank you so much that you outline everything that we need in our life. God, you teach us how to value one another. You teach us what love actually really is. God, I pray that as we leave here, that we will be stewards of your word. That we allow this word to penetrate our hearts and actually be able to, to live it out. That we would really just allow this word to, to change us. God, thank you so much for the work on the cross. God, we thank you for all of the marriages here in our house. God, bless them. God, continue to, to bring forth guidance and wisdom. God, and for those who are starting over this morning, say, like, man, I want, I want that. God, I pray for them, God. Help them. God, thank you so much that when we are weak, you are strong. And for some of us, it's like, man, maybe I, I need to make a step into that direction with God. I know my relationship with him is kind of rocky right now. I need, a, I need to really just, just say yes to him and obey him. And that's you this morning. We definitely want to pray for you. Heavenly Father, we thank you for every person that is here this morning. God, we lift them up to you, Father. God, allow us to be a fragrance in the room in which people are like, man, I'm so thankful they are here. God, and, we, and we're more so thankful for your name, the fragrance that never leaves us, God. Father, we love you and we praise your holy name. Amen.